Good morning, all. Let's uh, let's pray. I pray, Lord, that you, Lord, we recognise that you are here with us now. We thank you, Lord, that you never leave us or forsake us. And we are gathered here in your name, and so we know that your presence is here. And we know, Lord, that your desire is to speak, and your desire is to see us transformed into the likeness of Christ. And so, Lord, we give ourselves over to that this morning. We pray, Lord, that your truth would be made known, and anything that is not of you, Lord, would just not even register. It would be forgotten. But, Lord, your truth would be inscribed on our hearts. I pray you'd speak now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. My name's, uh, my name's Clay, if we haven't met before. Um, let's, um, let's do this. A while back, I, uh, I, uh, I preached a series on uh, loving God. I preached a number of series, a number of messages on, on loving God and on God's love and, and how we how we can love him. I talked about his love languages, if he could, you know, God could have a love language. And uh, in that message, I talked about about obedience. I spoke of it from John chapter 14, and in John chapter 14, Jesus says three times, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And speaking from that and, and trying to understand that more, I I uh, I talked about how Prioritizing obedience to God's biblical commands would would be uh, a more authentic expression of love than just say uh, singing him a song. You know, it's easy to sing a song, whether you're in tune or not. You can open your mouth, you say the words roughly in time, and then you go. You're singing. You can do that. You don't have to believe what you're saying. You don't have to be in tune or in time. But we and that's fair. Most of us, that's what we're doing each each week. Not saying that we don't believe the words, but we're just we're, we're putting them out there, and it isn't necessarily that hard to do that, and that isn't necessarily an expression of a heart of worship. Though at the same time, and I've come to see this more and more, we can be obedient to the law, or at least parts of it. And that is not necessarily expression of a heart that loves God either. So obedience isn't necessarily better than sacrifice or worship just because we're doing it. In both cases, whatever our expression is, it has to come from a heart that loves God. That makes sense, right? Now, I still believe that obedience can be a more authentic expression of our love for God, and the scripture is clear. He calls for it. But it is not necessarily an expression of love. Obedience is produced by love. Obedience is an expression of love, but not by necessity. We can be obedient to the letter of the command, but not love the commander. And this was the folly of the Pharisees. Obedience can be produced by many motivations. There are a number of motivations that that move us to follow commands and follow law, be it the, the law of this land, or be it God's law. I find myself more motivated to keep within the traffic regulations regarding speed when I know I'm approaching a speed camera. My motivation to be a lawful citizen increases substantially when I see a cop car coming up on the rise. Oh, I get very law-abiding for the next couple hundred metres. Obedience can be produced out of fear of what might happen. Pride, 
taking pride in our law keeping or expectation of reward. You know what you call someone who, uh, who, who works with an expectation of reward? An employee. A hired person. A hired servant works with an expectation of reward. And you, you know, should expect to get a fair return on your labor. But that's an employee. I appreciate my employment here at The Rock and I try to fulfill the obligations here. And what I have struggled with my entire career is treating God like my employer. And so I pray and I read his word because I need to to do my job. And so when I talk to him, I'm asking, oh, I'm talking about work stuff, which is kingdom stuff. But from my perspective, it's mostly about work. And so instead of being my heavenly father and being a love relationship, time and time again I fall into this work relationship. And who knows that God is not interested in me or you as an employee. He hasn't hired us. He's adopted us. Yeah, I need to keep saying it so that it sinks in. If we obey God without love, we do not obey him at all because his command is that we love. Love him, love others. If we love without obedience, we do not love at all because true love produces obedience. This is exactly what Jesus taught in John 14. But the key here is order and emphasis. Love will produce obedience to our Heavenly Father, but not necessarily the other way around. There isn't a formula here where we can line up a list of commands, and if we just tick them off, we just do them, suddenly we'll be loving people. It doesn't work that way, if only it did. If only we could select the ones that we could possibly nail, just do those, and somehow would be transformed into the likeness of Christ. That might sound absurd, except I used to try to do that. I had a checklist. I don't, I don't think I wrote it down, but it was, it was in my head. Read the Bible. Daily. Daily is probably best. Pray morning and night. Regular church attendance. Even better if you're in a life group. Tithe. Even better if, if it's before tax. Tick. Do you think following these regulations made me a person exploding with the love of God? Tell you what it did produce. A prideful person. Kind of got it sorted. Teach on tithing. Explain to everyone else who's not getting it, you know, what they should be doing. Explain the importance of being in the Word every day because if you just read the words, you know, that's all you need. I became very prideful, and that started to feed on itself. And I needed to be the person who had the answers, who knew the things, who could explain the words. And this pride fed on itself. And the more I knew, the less I knew him. The truth is, and I don't, know why it took me so long to see this, mainly because I wasn't looking with spiritual eyes, is that I am not under the law of Moses, but I am under law. The law that I am under is the law of Christ, the law of love. And this law applies to both covenants, old and new, to all believers, Jew and Gentile. The law of Christ is this, and you know this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There are no commandments greater than these. 
All the law and the prophets hang on this. And this law God has written on my heart, on our hearts, just as he promised he would. Jeremiah 31 from verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor to say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And I know this applies to me too. So read Romans chapter 2. And Paul says, even the Gentiles who are not under law, but are a law unto themselves, the law is written on their hearts and their conscience is bearing witness. He has written the law on our hearts too. Do you think it is because God wrote on stone tablets three and a half thousand years ago, thou shalt not commit adultery, that I don't cheat on my wife? Do you think it's, oh, no, that's right, God put it on the tablet. Um, what is it? Is it number, is it number seven? I better not, I better not do it then. Written in my heart is a command of love that I would love God and I would love my wife. I don't need to be told, don't cheat on your wife. It's already there. And the more I come to know him and the more his spirit is active in me, the louder his voice, the the greater his command becomes in me. God has written a law on my heart and it is a law of love. And this law grows as my revelation of him grows. But it doesn't grow cumbersome and unbearable as the law of Moses did on all who lived under it. Christ's law is light, just as Jesus promised it would be. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and they are burdened under the law. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What I've come to experience for myself is that keeping the law of love on my heart is easy. Because the law of love on my heart is lived from the Spirit. It is not lived from flesh. And where the flesh becomes weary, the spirit does not. But living by the law from my flesh is a burden that I cannot carry. But then God isn't asking us to. So when I struggle to follow what is happening in, uh, in my heart and what God is saying to me, when I struggle, it's, it's not because the burden is heavy. It's because I'm trying to live by it by flesh. Paul explains in in Romans chapter 8, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son and the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And in Galatians chapter 5 from verse 13, Paul writes, You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, You are not under the law. 
So I am free and empowered to love my neighbor because the Spirit is performing a work of love in me. I can give generously to the poor and his church, not because the law of Moses commands me to, but because the law written in my heart by his Spirit is producing a work of generosity in me. I give because I am generous and I am becoming generous, not because I've been told to. My obedience is produced by the work of his spirit in me, not the obligation of the law and the perseverance of my flesh. Now, if you think I'm I'm saying that, that the Torah, the Old Testament law, is obsolete, that it is irrelevant, and that we don't need to read it today, then let me disabuse you of that right now. Yes, we should read the Torah. Just not as an Israelite under the Old Covenant. Because we are not Israelites under the Old Covenant. God has much to say through the law and narratives of Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus. But is it that much of a stretch to see that what God was saying to them then can be different but equally true for us now? Can you imagine that God could could write something down, he could say something, and it could mean something different to different people, but be equally true. Depending on who you are and the relationship you have with him. See, the Israelites had a unique relationship with God, and he called them into a unique covenant around the law. He hasn't invited me into that covenant. He's invited me and us into a very different and a lot easier covenant. It's not a covenant of law. It's a covenant of grace that we come into not by obedience, but by faith. It's only through the lens of Christ that we can understand his law or his word anyway. We are Gentile believers. We have been grafted into spiritual Israel, but we are not grafted in through Moses and his law. We are grafted in through Abraham. And Abraham was not justified by his actions. He was not justified by law-keeping. He was justified by faith. God spoke and Abraham believed and he stepped out in faith and that pleased God. Because of his faith, Abraham was justified. And that is exactly the same for us. By faith in Christ and what he has done on the cross for us, the victory he has won over sin and death, we put our faith in that and we are justified. Not by law keeping, not by what we do, but by the faith we have in him. But this this covenant that I'm talking about now isn't unique to Gentiles. Gentiles being non-Jewish believers, non-Jews. It is the same whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, as Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 from verse 15 to 16. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Being compliant is not the same as being good. Tithing doesn't mean you're generous. Regular church attendance doesn't mean that you're passionate about God's family. Daily Bible reading doesn't mean you're hungry for God's word. 
singing a song about God's presence doesn't mean you're desperate for his presence. You can do all these things but still not know God, not be filled with his spirit, not be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Religious works and obedience are not the goal. They are some of the fruit of the goal. The goal is to know him, to love him, and to be transformed by his love. And when and as we are transformed, we will love others. We will love them demonstrably. We will be obedient to the word and will of God that is written on our hearts. Transformed into his likeness, we will perform good works, miraculous works, loving works, because this is what his spirit and character produces in us. We won't be able to help ourselves. We will love because his love is growing in us. We will act justly because his justice is growing in us. We will give generously because he is making us generous. We will live righteously because his spirit is sanctifying us. The point of all this is that our morality needs to be driven by love for God and for others, not obligation to the written code. There are teachers writing books and blogs and preaching sermons that are leading the church out from the freedom of Christ and back under the bondage of law. And this is exactly the era that Paul was addressing with the Galatian church. This is history repeating itself. And I'm hearing this stuff all the time, taking us back to the law, back to the law, not recognizing I was never in the law. Why are you dragging me there? Paul's letter to the Galatians is just as relevant now because the issue is just as relevant now. Chapter 3, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Because your very eyes, uh, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited him as righteousness. And in chapter five of Galatians, Paul writes, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. And, who, and you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, the exact outworking of this law issue is not exactly the same here. There isn't a huge movement, at least not at the rock, for circumcision. But it was then to be entered into the fellowship. They were talking about to, to be saved, you had to be circumcised. To, um, for a Gentile to come into the fellowship of the church, they had to be circumcised. There were, there were churches there that were, this, this was the law, and this is what they thought was from Scripture. To be part of God's family from the covenant under Moses, you had to be circumcised. So surely that's the same now. Gentile believers, you've got to get circumcised. 
definitely better to be a woman in that church. So yeah, that's 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 not the the exact expression of that here, but I've heard all kinds of other things that are similar. You've got to speak in tongues to be saved. You've got to speak in tongues to be a part of this church. If you're not speaking in tongues, that proves you're not spirit-filled. Here's an example in Scripture. They were spirit-filled and they spoke in tongues. That means that if you're not speaking in tongues, you're not saved. You can still attend, but you're not really part of us. You should keep tithing, though. This is one thing. There, there are lots of things that, that it can be. We put expe- expectations on people that this is what you have to do to be a part of God's family. And we'll be able to find a verse that loosely leans in that direction and we, we can make a doctrine out of it. And we put people under a burden of law that God didn't do. God is calling us to live by the Spirit, not by the law. The point of the law was not to make people more righteous but to highlight their iniquity and their desperate need for a righteous saviour. The law can't make us holy. It serves only to demonstrate how unholy we are. Only the sanctifying ministry of the Holy Spirit can make us holy. Only putting on Christ and his robe of righteousness can make us holy. And only if we come into the new covenant by faith in Christ. Our focus cannot be moral living or good works or law-keeping. If these are our focus, we might become at least more moral, law-abiding, religious people than we are now. Maybe we will do some good things, but we won't know God any better. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons, in your name perform many miracles? And I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus made it clear, Paul made it clear. If you want to try to keep if you want to try to keep the law, that's the way you want to live, you better keep every single one of them. You fail on one, you fail on all. I fail on lots. So hopefully there's another way. Not law, spirit. The world is full of moral, law-abiding people, people who do good works. And you know, lots of them aren't Christians. The church is full of people performing all kinds of works for God, whose character would suggest they don't really know him. Our righteousness, our good works, our obedience need to be the fruit of the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work in us. Anything else is a facade, and it will not survive judgment. It will not lead to an eternal inheritance. Here's the thing. God is calling lovers, not lawyers. Observing the law, or at least trying to, doesn't please him. Faith pleases him. Yes, technically, if you are a practitioner of law, he will let you in if you have faith in Christ. He has mercy even for you. But our works, we know this, our works don't please him, or we should not. Faith pleases him. It is by faith that we are justified and by his fa- by faith in his spirit we must live. Why am I speaking on this? Why am I going to continue to speak on this? Some of you are like, yeah, Clay, I know. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, I'm there with you. I am having conversations all the time with brothers and sisters. And as I'm talking to them, my, I am wondering, am I, am I speaking to a spirit-filled believer or am I speaking to a Pharisee? And I am sensitive to this because that, that is who I was. 
I carried that spirit. I didn't have I didn't have the spiritual sight to see what it was about. I could see just what was sitting on the surface with no deeper meaning. I took everything so literally. But I know I know taking the word of God literally sounds like it should be a good thing. But without the perspective, the bigger picture of the story of God taking parts of it out of context and taking those literally can lead us in to serious folly and to error. So I wasn't seeing what he has made abundantly clear, and that is at the heart of his law and his gospel is love. So when I read Leviticus, I didn't see love in there. When I read Exodus and Deuteronomy, I wasn't seeing love. What I saw was a holy, good, righteous, good, angry, firm, stern God who expected me to keep in line or I was in for a world of hurt. I was like, okay, clear boundaries, that's good, thanks. So if I keep inside the boundaries, I'll be okay, is that right? So my relationship with God has been developed in this context. God primarily is a judge. He is a lawgiver, which is true, but is is that the defining characteristic of who God is? Because that's all I could see. And so, okay, I've got boundaries I've got to work within. Okay, let's test where these boundaries are. Okay, right. Um, Don't commit adultery, okay? I'm not married. Does that mean I'm okay? Okay. All right. How can uh, can I hold hands? Holding hands, that's cool. Little kiss on the lips. What could I actually get away with here? What 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 can I what can I get away with here? Where are the boundaries so that I can live the life I want to live? Hopefully without crossing over and bringing down the wrath of God on myself, because that's what I'm worried about, the wrath of God, rather than being passionate about the love of God. So now my faith experience is about what I can get away with, what I have to do and what I can't do, and this is who I decide God is. And around me are people who seem to treat God the same way. And kind of be okay with that. And I guess I was okay with that. Okay, God is God. Sovereign rule of the universe gives laws. We keep the laws. Everything's okay. Now, Christ was preached in this church. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm saved. I'm saved by, you know, faith in Christ and, and the cross. Yep, yep, yep. But you better keep the law. So it's like you get in. Thanks, Christ. Thanks for the cross. Awesome. But now, now that you're in, you better keep the law. And it's, it's almost like, what did the cross actually accomplish? Okay, so technically I get to go to heaven now? But where's the freedom? Because I, I keep, like, these verses on freedom keep popping up. Where's the freedom? It seemed like I was under a greater burden than I was beforehand. Surely it can't be about this. Seems like there's got to be more. Now, if you disagree, I don't want you to get the wrong impression here. If you disagree with what I'm saying here, or some of this rings true for you, I am not calling you a Pharisee. I'm saying that I carried that attitude. Disagreeing with Clay does not make you a Pharisee. Not all of you. So, what does this mean? for the harsh realities of your life tomorrow. How will you know what you're supposed to do? If we stop reading Leviticus like a do this, don't do this, like a guide like Leviticus is how you're supposed to live your life. If we, if we don't do that, and let's be honest, no one does that. What we tend to do, even the most legalistic Christians are, are pretty careful to pick out the ones that they like. Those are the ones that they don't struggle with and 
I'll pick those out, and those are the ones that maybe on a good day I can pull off. I'll hold on to those. The rest of it, even though I take the scriptures literally, I'll say that's a metaphor, or I can ignore that. We can um, we can pick and choose. Yeah, that one's for the Israelites, but the rest of them, that's for you lot. If we stop reading Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy like that, like it's an instruction manual for how to live, how do you know what you're supposed to do tomorrow? How do you know what you can't do? As if it's about what you can't do. Here's a revelation. The question, first of all, is not what can I do and what can't I do. The question, one of them is, how can I love God more? How can I love my neighbor more? Instead of being restricted in lifestyle choices, I am free to push the boundaries in how I love him, how I love others. The Bible isn't, I don't believe the Bible is a static document that is frozen in time. God's word, he says, is living and active, and his truth descends all generations. The Holy Spirit is our counsellor, our teacher, our guide. I didn't always get that. I always saw myself as my teacher, but I've been given the best textbooks in the world. A couple of years ago, I started uh, teaching myself physics. What a stupid thing to do. Electronic circuit stuff. I I I struggled, and I'm 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 still struggling with this. The reason is that having the textbook doesn't actually mean that I can understand the concepts, and uh, so much of it is Greek to me. A lot of it actually is Greek, and so I read the pages, and I'm just not getting it, because having the book isn't actually enough. What I need is a teacher who can explain it to me, explain what applies to me and what doesn't, what principles do I need to know, how do these apply to what I'm trying to do with these electronic circuits, how does this work? I didn't have the means to understand, which is exactly the problem I had with the Bible. Somehow I thought that I could just open the book and God would tell me without me asking him, without me engaging with him, somehow just, I don't know, my mind somehow renewed, somehow would just make it work. I came to some interesting interpretations using that method. And we all do. Jesus said, I will give you an advocate, spirit of truth. He will be your teacher. I had a lot of teachers at school. I didn't listen to many of them. And I haven't always listened to this one either. I'm ready to listen now. Holy Spirit is my counselor. He is my teacher. He is my guide. And so tomorrow, we engage with him. Throughout the day, we seek and walk in his presence. Seeking his presence can sound a lot more spiritual than I think it really is. He's not off there somewhere that we need to hunt out. Like, where'd he go? Oh, no. Never leave you or forsake you means he's never going to leave you or forsake you. You don't have to come here. To find him. You have to go to a conference to find him. Psalm 139 says we can't get away from his presence. Though we might try to and go to the depths of the ocean, we can't get away from him. When we talk about seeking the presence of God, what we're talking about 
is recognizing that he's right here with us right now. We've tuned him out. We've put blinkers on so we can't see him. He's there. Seeking his presence is tuning ourselves back into the reality, the truth. He's there right now. He's speaking right now. Learn to listen. Learn to to develop an awareness of his presence. That's what seeking him is. And I'm not I'm not suggesting that it's it's as easy as what that might have sounded like. It's not a, a it's not a switch you flick. Oh cool, there he is. Yep. It is something we have to develop. And it's hard for us because of how busy we are. When do we have a moment to stop? Be still. Know he is God. Know he is here with me. Quiet out all other distraction and listen. Ah, yes, he's not in the earthquake. He's not in the, he's not in the wind. He's not in the storm. Ah, there. That still quiet voice. Yes. That's you, Lord. I'm listening. That goes against our lifestyle. Guess what? It all goes against our lifestyle. It all goes against the culture that we've been raised in. Everything about him is countercultural. To reap this relationship, this reward, we need to pay the price, which is harder for some of us than others. Stop. Just pause. Listen. Find him there, right with you. And see if we can hold on to that throughout the day, because he's not going anywhere. It's our head that goes somewhere. So this is what we do. We, we, we engage with him throughout our day, seeking and walking in his presence, listening for his voice, following his promptings, acting in faith, trusting in him, allowing him to transform your character. The Ten Commandments don't cut it. Do not steal. I can push that a few different ways. To be able to do what I want to do. But when I'm faced with a with a moment of temptation or of of confusion, I'm not really stealing. The copyright law around this information is it's a bit hazy. Maybe I can download it. I'm not actually stealing because technically I'm not withholding something from the copyright holder. Maybe I can download this. The letter of the law doesn't really spell it out for me, so I can. there's wiggle room in there to do what I want. And this is what we, we do. Maybe not with that, but all kinds of things. That's living by flesh. It's not living by spirit. Living by spirit, I just pause and it's just just think about it. And you find something welling up in my spirit because the spirit of God is in me. He has written his law on my heart. And when I stop blocking that out, I find, you know what? I know in my spirit what is right and what is wrong because he put it there. I can try to suppress the truth with my wickedness, it says in Romans 1. But now I've got to know that I'm fighting against him and his word. Living by the Spirit is a whole lot clearer than the Word. The law only goes so far. As we allow Him to transform our character, as we're faced by each trial, temptation, encounter, and opportunity, in those situations, we exercise faith and love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And as we choose to follow God's promptings and exercise those qualities, he is faithful to reproduce them in us through the transformation of our character. The more love we sow, 
into the world, into people, the more love that he produces in us. That is how he works. If you let him, if you sow in righteousness, you will reap in righteousness. If you want the fruit of the Spirit, you sow in the Spirit. You live by the Spirit. You follow his promptings. You obey those. And that produces a work in us. The more we allow him to do in us, the more he does in us. We become the very people that he's destined us to be, transformed into the likeness of Christ. So that's what we do tomorrow. I understand that for for some, the teaching that the law of Moses does not apply to us can be quite contentious. I know some people don't agree with that. My intention is not to not to be controversial. Though I am happy to provoke people if it provokes people into seeking him in the word. I've read the Bible cover to cover a number of times. I've read through Galatians. Somehow it didn't stick. Maybe my objective was to get through Galatians as it was to get through Leviticus and Numbers. But not seeking him in it, I missed so much. Galatians, Hebrews, Romans, time and time again, people, you are not under the law. Accept the law you have chosen to take for yourself, which is the law of Christ. Love God, love others. Everything hangs on that. So, yeah, how about this? I don't think that I'm under, no, I don't believe that me or you are under the Ten Commandments. Seriously. Read Galatians, read Hebrews, read Romans. Come back to me and show me how we are under the Ten Commandments. And I know I can see people, oh, I don't know about that, Clay. Show me where. But you know what? When I read the Ten Commandments, I see in them, Love God. Love your neighbor. Love your parents. Love people. Don't steal from them. Don't kill them. Love them. Don't be a fault witness. Love them. Don't cover their property. Love them. No. The Ten Commandments, which are the covenant under Moses, that doesn't apply to me, but the heart of them does. I am under heart of them like you wouldn't believe. And it is more full on than it was then. Jesus said it. It is written, shall not kill, but I say you will not harbor anger or hate in your heart for your brother. That is to commit murder in your heart. Whoa. That's a whole other level. You shall, you've heard it said, it has been written, you shall not commit adultery, but I say you will not look lustfully at a woman. That is committing adultery in the heart. Man, thought it was hard before? What he's emphasizing, first of all, is that Jesus is above Moses. And the covenant he's bringing is above Moses. But it's also, the law was always supposed to be on our hearts. The law in our hearts is greater than the law on stone. I might talk a little bit more about that tonight. Okay. I think there's, there's this kind of stuff... There's, there's plenty to unpack. And what I don't want you to, to leave with this morning or today is confusion about what I'm saying um, or contention between us. So what we're going to do tonight, I'm going to speak a little bit more on this law stuff. And then we're going to have a and a time so that we can seek clarity and make sure that you understand what it is that this is really about. In case I have misspoken, because I do not want to do that. And I truly want you to take away what it is that God has for you. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We'll speak a bit more on this. We'll have some Q&A time. And then if we have time, we can process some of this stuff in group discussion. How does that sound? Okay? All right. All right. I hope, I hope you can hear my heart on this. I am, I am passionate about this. I believe there is so much more in here for us if we can find it. And I want you to hear this. I am not anti-nominalist, which means I'm not anti-law or I don't believe the law doesn't apply. 
I just believe the law is different. I believe it's a law of love and it's a law in our hearts. Okay? There's plenty of scripture we can look at on that. So, um, please, I just believe we can find more love and as a result, we'll be a church that is known for love. A church known for our love for God and for each other, which is exactly what Jesus said in John 13. Not known as a church of finger pointers, judging others, who are clear on what you can and can't do. It's not really what the world needs. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you love us. You love us in our error. You love us in our misunderstandings. You love us in our failings. You love us in our sin. Thank you, Lord, for that love. And I pray the revelation of that love will just grow more and more. Spirit of truth, I pray that you would confirm your truth, the truth. That you would help us to receive what is of you and take it eagerly. And then I pray you'd lead us through scripture so that we could confirm what your truth is. Lord, I pray that you'd help us just to continually surrender ourselves to allow you to do the work in us. Casting out the old wineskins and broken foundations, and realigning it to your foundation. Apostles and the prophets, Christ is the cornerstone. A new wineskin to receive a new covenant, a covenant of love and grace, a covenant of faith in Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would push us deeper into you, draw us deeper in. And I pray, Lord, that uh, it also continues to build the unity of this family of faith here. Help us to love each other even when we don't agree. And as we come more into you, Lord, you will give us one mind in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Oof.